The sermon title will be Free to Be Me. Our series, Unlocking Freedom in Your Life, is based on a very iconic teaching of Jesus from John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And we're doing three steps to freedom from John 8, 31 and 32. So let's look at those verses here. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People say this all the time, the truth will set you free. That's true. Jesus said that, but he said more than that. That's only half of the story. We're to hold to his teachings, then we know the truth, and then the truth sets us free. So let's read verse 31 and 32 again and see that three-step process. Hold to the teachings, then we start to learn by experience, and then after that we start to attain to some freedom. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So if you hold to my teaching, this is step one. It's not merely to know what Jesus taught, but to hold to his teaching. It isn't enough to know what Jesus has said. We have to do what Jesus says. James 1.22 makes this very, very plain. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. <laughs> Do what it says. Did you know you can be deceived by listening to the word of God? You can be deceived by reading your Bible if you don't do it. What is the deception that comes? The deception is that you think you're making progress as you're memorizing more scriptures that you're ignoring in your life. You think you're getting somewhere with God when you can name all the books of the Bible and you can tell the Ten Commandments and you can do all these things, but if you're not putting it into practice, you're just deceiving yourself. You think you're making spiritual progress, but you're not. So don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we hold to the teachings. That's basically three steps. Find out what the teachings are, believe in them, and put them into practice. That's holding to the teachings. And then if we go back to John 8, 32, we get steps two and three. Then you will know the truth. So this is a truth that we learn by experience. If we follow the Ten Commandments, then we will start to learn things. Our life will start to be a little different. And as we put the teachings into practice, then we start to learn the effect. You start to see these things. Then you know the truth. And after that... The truth will set you free. So we've got three steps. First one, hold to the teachings. Step number two, you start to learn, you start to understand, you start to see the truth, and then you walk into freedom. You walk into greater and greater freedom over time. And so these are our three steps. And we're looking at different things, different teachings that we can hold to in order to get free in different areas. And so this week... We're talking about free to be me, free to be me. This is free from personal insecurity, free from fear of inadequacy, just free from all those self issues, free to be me. Wouldn't it be a great thing just to be completely comfortable with who you are, to have made peace with your creator on who he created you to be and just be thankful to be you, be at peace, free to be you, free to be me. That's what we're talking about. Have you ever thought thoughts like, I'm not good enough, I just don't fit in, they'll never like me, I'll never make it, those sorts of thoughts. Have you ever projected those thoughts and turned them on other people and said things like, they're just not good enough, they don't belong, 
I'll never like them. They'll never make it. You know, because that's usually just projecting your own fears onto other people to try to make yourself feel better. It's the other side of the coin, the insecurity pride coin. We're just going to throw that whole coin away and have it not be about us. Because the way that we get free to be us, the way I get free to be me, is to set myself aside and go follow Jesus. That's how I'm free to be me. What causes this personal insecurity problem, this fear of inadequacy problem, this lack of ability to feel comfortable just being you? What causes that? I got two things written down here. Number one, not knowing who you truly are. And number two, not knowing the firm foundation that you can stand on. If you don't know who you truly are, you'll feel off. And if you don't know that you have something that no one can take away, that you have something that the devil himself can't steal from you, if you know you can stand on a firm foundation that cannot be shaken, then you can be free to be you. Let's look at a paradoxical teaching of Jesus. It occurs a total of six different times in slightly different ways. So that's in every gospel and in two of them twice. This is a very important teaching. We'll apply the three steps to it and we'll endeavor to become free, to be who we are, to be at peace with who we are. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking about a very important thing that we need to do. Let's look at how do we hold to these teachings? How do we do this? Let's go back to verse 23. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. So we're talking about being free to be me. And it starts with denying ourselves. Isn't that interesting? This is a paradoxical teaching. Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How do we hold to that? How do we hold to this? Well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Instead of running after all the things for myself, I submit myself to God. I decide to commit my day to God and God's plan for that day. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to submit to Him. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to, I'm going to serve God the way He's shown me to serve Him. Instead of seeking after my own interests, I'm going to seek after God's plan for my life. Now, is God's plan for your life for you to go to work on time? Yes, and to work very hard. Go to work, be on time, be respectful of your boss, do your homework. Is it God's will for you to do your homework? Yes. So if you're like, well, I was too busy praying to do my homework. I was, you know, I was denying myself. No, you do your homework. That's part of God's plan. So if we're going to hold to this teaching, then we, we don't look for our own selfish interests. We look for God's ways and we walk in God's ways day by day. That's how we hold to those teachings. What do we learn when we do that, 
If we hold to the teaching, then we'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if we hold to this teaching, we decide, yep, I'm in every day. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to live for Jesus every day. Then what happens? Well, we learn the next couple of verses. Verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. So Jesus is saying, if you want to have your life, give it up. If you want to know who you truly are, give your life to me and follow me. Daily carry your cross. So that's paradoxical, right? I mean, if we're going to give up our lives, but then that's how we get our life. How does that work? Well, let me tell you something. If you are the center of your universe, there are two things you need to know. The first thing is, you live in a very small, sad universe. And the second thing is, you're the only one who lives in that universe. Because <laughs> nobody else's world revolves around you. Once we give ourselves up, then we're able to step into God's plan, God's fullness. We're able to see God's whole world, His plan. We're able to walk into that. And we're able to grab hold of God's purpose for our lives. And it's fantastic. And then verse 25 What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Now, in the book of Matthew, this same teaching is given with just slight variations. And in Matthew, it says, What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Here it says in Luke, What good is it for you to gain the whole world and lose your very self? I believe there are two significant meanings to these verses. The first one is of course, you don't want to fight for selfish things in this life and then go to hell, right? I mean, you're losing out. Maybe you get a couple decades of living high and then you go to hell. That's a disaster. You know, that is not worth it at all. If you believe that lie, you're in a bad spot. Just be done with that and go follow Jesus because living with him is way better. The second one is this. Lose your very self. What it means is you can run after selfish things and then you never get to live the life that God meant for you to live in the first place. I could be out chasing selfish things instead of being a pastor and I would miss this whole thing. You know, that'd be a disaster. When I gave up what I was going for, what I was planning my life around, when I just gave that up to serve the Lord, I got my life. You know, who would I have been? Maybe I'd have made more money. I'm so thankful to be able to live this life. It's, it's fantastic. It's great. There's no better life than the life in the center of God's will. No better life. And if you are selfish, self-centered, you don't care about the things of God, you're never going to see the life God made you to live, and you're going to miss it. You'll lose your very self. That's a disaster. Why gain the whole world And lose God's plan for your life. Why gain the world and go to hell? Why gain the world and never get to know what it's like to be in the center of God's will and to see God's great plan? So we learn all these amazing things. And then the resulting freedom is a freedom to be me. I get to be me. You get to be you. You can be completely secure and content in who you are every day of the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be neat?
in order to kind of make this less theoretical and more practical, let's look at the story of David and Goliath. In Big People Church, I don't know that we talk about David and Goliath a whole lot, but we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 20, and let's look at this free-to-be-me concept, this idea of laying our lives down before the Lord, just doing His will, and then getting to live our life, getting to be comfortable with who we are and at peace with who we are. So 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. So David is going to the battleground where the rest of the family is. He's bringing some food. So he leaves the sheep with a shepherd and he heads out. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel, so the nation of Israel, and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. So this has been going on for days and days and days where the lines would come, they'd all shout, and then they'd just sort of stand there and Goliath would come out and say, hey, anybody want to fight me? You know, how about we just do one-on-one? Why, why bother all these big armies? Let's just fight. You send somebody out, fight me, we'll let that decide the matter. And he comes out as he normally does, is very offensive. David hears it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So he's a big, scary guy. He's Goliath. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So if you kill Goliath, you get lots of money. You get the king's daughter. So now you're in the royal line and... You don't have to pay taxes or your family pay taxes. That's pretty sweet. David's an industrious young man. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So David gets the whole story. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So, support from the older brother? No. This is a biting critique. This is a cruel, cruel statement given by the oldest brother. He says, you know, what are you doing here? What you're doing wasn't even worth it back there. Who'd you leave those few sheep with, you little punk? You're just here to gawk at what's happening. And he he just cuts them down. Have you ever had someone just cut you down? You got two options, believe it or reject it. Let me tell you, you should reject it. Here's something I heard years ago. Very important. Which word has the most power? What I say, what someone else says to me, or what the Bible says? Which has the most power over my life? The truth is, it's the one that I believe. 
If someone insults me and tells me I'm a worthless piece of garbage that's never going to amount to anything, and I believe that, then what do you think is going to happen? I'm going to be a worthless piece of garbage that doesn't amount to anything. However, which one is the most true? What I say, what somebody else says to me, or the Word of God? The Word of God is the most true, so we should combine it with faith, believe the truth of the Word of God, and then let it have power over our lives. So David does not go, yeah, I'm really just a a worthless guy. I shouldn't have left the sheep. Oh, man, yeah, I will see you. And then he just goes back to the sheep. He didn't do that, though. Verse 29. Now what have they done, said David? Can I even speak? He's like, dude, you're way out of line. Verse 30. I love this verse. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. Like, well, Eliab, he's not with the program. We're just going to forget about him. Undaunted, he starts talking to other people. Hey, so I heard that if you kill this Philistine, which is clearly what God wants to do, then you get rich, you get the king's daughter, and you don't have to pay taxes ever again. Is that right? You know, he just ignores this biting, cruel, sarcastic critique from his oldest brother. He just starts talking with somebody else. He doesn't believe the lie. It is so important to not believe the cruel lie that other people have spoken over you. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just always a a screw-up. You're this, that, whatever it is. Don't believe it. Because if you believe it, it will have power. Instead, believe the truth. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. What does King Saul have to say? Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. You're a sheep herder, man. What are you saying? This is Goliath. You know, he's got a 70 pound sword. He's going to take you out. David knows who he is. And David knows who his God is. And so he is undaunted. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Is this where you would start if you want the king to let you go fight Goliath? Let me tell you, man, I've been keeping sheep and I've been keeping sheep for a long time. But there's a reason. Now, the story starts with David keeping sheep. The moral of this is simply that you must start Living your life for Christ with the small things. Do not despise small potatoes. Small potatoes is where you prove faithful. You don't start with Goliath. You start with keeping the sheep. If David hadn't kept the sheep, then the next things wouldn't have happened and he wouldn't have been set up to go fight Goliath. It starts with the little things. Do not despise small beginnings. Go ahead and pick small potatoes. Start there. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. I didn't realize sheep herding was that dangerous. So was he just an okay sheep herder? He didn't just let them die. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. He's like, look, I've killed lions. I've killed bears. God wants to take this Philistine out. 
And I'm willing to be used in God's army to do that. I've proven myself. Give me a shot. Verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So it convinces Saul. You know, his oldest brother, Eliab, still insults him after he kills the lion and the bear. Just because you're making progress doesn't mean other people are going to notice. They may even resent that and speak evil over you, but you have to reject it. So Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, which is like his shirt or jacket. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David's going to look the fighting man. You know, he's got the bronze helmet. He's got everything he needs. He's got the coat of armor. Verse 39, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. This is the moment in time that I want to focus on with regards to this particular sermon, free to be me. Do you go fight the great warrior without armor, without a helmet, with no sword? David is about to defy convention in a major way, but he knows who he is. He knows what God can do with him. And he knows that if he does it with the armor of Saul, it's not going to work. He's not used to that. That's not who he is. He's not the bronze helmet, big sword guy. He didn't go out to take care of the sheep with a bronze helmet and a big sword. He doesn't know how to use those. Yet he is confident enough in who he is that he takes off the king's armor in front of the king and everyone else. Would you have the courage to do that? Have you ever decided, yep, God wants me to do this, and then everybody has different ideas of how you're supposed to do it, and different plans, and, well, here's the, the normal way. You know, best practices are bloop, 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 bloop. And then you have to evaluate whether or not that's who you are. Now, David had the confidence to be who he was. And I want you to apply that concept to yourself. Let's read verse 40 just to see. He took the armor off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now, you might have heard this story before. And so it's just sort of like normal, but it was ridiculous in the moment. So the little shepherd boy with five smooth stones walks out and approaches the giant with the 70 pound sword. And, you know, the, the story continues on and we know David ends up killing Goliath. But he's true to who he is and he trusts God and he has victory over Goliath. Apply that to yourself. Now, uh, I had the privilege at the Equip Conference to do a breakout session down there on an introvert's guide to ministry and leadership. And that was very fun. And the reality is, is that ministry and leadership are an extrovert's world. You know what I mean? Like ministry is all relational. And for an introvert, especially a strong introvert, there can be some difficulties with that. But years ago, I realized that I have to be true to who I am. That God did not make a mistake in creating me. And if he's going to call me to ministry, then I should minister the way he's created me. And so instead of going by convention when we started the church here, 
we did things a different way. Because the convention is, go ahead and have a pig roast and bounce houses and get as many people to come to the first church service as you possibly can, and then hopefully some will stick. That's the plan. Well, I knew if we spent, like people were spending 20 grand on a party to start a church. And I was like, well, first of all, we don't have a whole lot of money, and that 20 grand might be handy for other stuff. And second of all, I'm bad at big parties. I'm real bad at that. I don't know what to say to people I don't know. I feel awkward. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been really weird. So I'm like, ah, we're not going to do that. We're just going to start having church. We're going to start. And we told people we were starting. You know, we put a thing in the paper. We put a thing on the radio. Hey, we're going to start. And then we just had our regular church service. And we had 88 people come. It's fantastic. And the second week, we had 70. And a friend of mine planted a church two weeks before us. And they had the pig roast and the bounce houses. They did the whole thing. Their first service, they had 200 people. It's pretty good. Their second service, 70. I like my way. <laughs> you know, like, what difference does it make? Okay, oh, we got to say a big number. Yeah, but you wasted a bunch of money. And I'm not good at that anyway, so I'm just not going to do it. But I had to have confidence that, hey, if God's called me as an introvert to minister, then I need to start with a smaller group of people because that's just going to be another hundred and some that fall through the cracks that I'm never going to meet. That's going to be bad. I don't want to lose that opportunity with those people. I want them to come in slowly so I can meet people. Be comfortable and confident in who you are. God did not make a mistake when he made you. Just take that on faith. A couple more points. God shows his strength in our weakness. If you're going to be free to be you, understand you're also going to have weaknesses. God did not make you able to do everything and perfectly strong in every way. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. This is another famous section of verses where Paul talks about the thorn in his side. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, who, by the way, is starting to follow other leaders and ignore Paul. He says, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, Paul is weak. He has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. It could be bad eyesight. He had some eye problems. It could be something else. We don't really know what it is, but Paul wanted it taken care of, and God said no. He said, you go ahead and be weak and let me show my strength. You'll be weak in certain areas. Still be confident in who you are. You know, everyone has weaknesses. One of the examples I've brought up many times is that when I was a kid, I couldn't read. Second grade, they found out I couldn't read at all. Third grade, my teacher made me stay in from recess because I couldn't spell my name. I mean, like, I was real bad at it. And now... I read publicly as a job. It's my job to read the holy word of God to people. It's fantastic what God can do. But I know that God is showing his strength in my weakness. I have very poor relational capacity. (laughs) And yet people come to church and connect. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And God is showing his power in my weakness. Hallelujah. I just have to be comfortable being weak in certain areas. If you're going to be comfortable with who you are, you have to acknowledge the reality that you have weaknesses. It's part of the deal. Second bonus point. God made you to be part of something bigger 
than just who you are. God made you to be a piece of the puzzle. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the Apostle Paul, again talking to the church in Corinth, he says, now you are the body of Christ. The you there is the plural you. All y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you, that's the singular you, each one of you is a part of it. So there is the body of Christ with all the different gifts and abilities and talents, and then you are a piece of the puzzle. You don't have all the gifts and abilities and talents, but you provide a piece of the puzzle for the greater whole. So you won't be able to do everything. You'll have weaknesses and you'll have inabilities. God calls us into a body so that I can't do something, but someone else can. The two of us can't do this third thing, but another person comes in and does that. We all have inabilities. We all have things we're not good at. We're meant to be part of a whole where all of us are different, but together we make a complete unit. And my third extra point, you must discover who God made you to be. You don't get to choose. You must discover who God made you to be. You don't get to decide. This is an important one. This is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. I don't get to decide, I want to be a business owner, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a firefighter. I don't get to decide, I have to ask God, what do you want me to do? Who have you meant for me to be? When I grew up, it was, you can be anything you want to be, just try hard enough, you'll get there. Well, here's the deal, you can be absolutely anything God calls you to be. If God calls you to slay Goliath, you get to tending some sheep, you take on the bear and the lion, and pretty soon Goliath will show up and you'll have victory. But David didn't just get to pick that, he was chosen for that. I didn't get to pick being a pastor. I would have chosen not to. Again, I don't like being in groups of people. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable in the social environment of church. I'd have been a farmer. I'd have been great. But you just have to ask God, what do you want me to do? And just do that. He chooses us. We don't get to choose. So the three bonus points, you will have weaknesses. Be confident even in the midst of your weaknesses. You will be incomplete, but you're called to be part of a group that will bring completeness. And you have to ask God and discover who he made you to be. You don't get to just choose. So I said at the beginning, there were two things in order to be free to be me. First thing is to understand who you truly are. And the second one was to know the foundation that you stand on. So who are you? When you put your faith in Christ, this is who you are. You are forgiven and clean, righteous in God's eyes. You are unique and significant an important part of God's kingdom, but with some weaknesses and a built-in need to have other people's help. That's who you are. Now, there's specific details to your individual life, but that's who you are. What is the foundation that you stand on? Let me tell you, there is a firm, unshakable, eternal foundation that you can stand on. Have you ever had the rug pulled out from under you in your life? Yeah, that's a hassle. And it makes you think, I'm unsafe. I don't know what's going to happen. What if this? What if that? Because you get the rug pulled out, everything changes, and you're thrown into disarray. There is a foundation you can stand on that will never be shaken. Don't settle for trusting in a bad foundation. Don't settle for putting your trust in money. Don't settle for putting your trust in other people's opinions of you. Don't settle for your accomplishments. Don't settle for your physical health or physical strength. Don't make social standing your foundation, how many friends you can have on Facebook and how many Twitter followers. And certainly don't stand on anything false. Let's look at Galatians 6, 7, and 8 as our closing scriptures. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Understand that. This is either great news for you or this is bad news for you. Verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here's the good news of that verse. What it means is, is that everyone who denies himself, picks up his cross, and follows Jesus every day, is sowing seed that leads to eternal life, and that cannot be taken from you. There's no one in this world that can rob that from you. There is no government power. The devil himself can't snatch you from Jesus' hand. It's a firm foundation, but it's up to us to sow the right seed. It's up to us to each day say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have in my heart to change? You see my weaknesses. You see what I can't do. What do you have for me to do? It's up to us to sow the right seed. God will never forget you and no one can steal your future when you trust in Christ. It is a firm foundation in eternity. Let me tell you, you are free in Christ to be you. You can have confidence that God made you with a plan and a purpose. He didn't make a mistake. And so you can be content in who you are. You do need forgiveness from God and to step into his goodness. But when you do that, you put yourself on a firm foundation that cannot be shaken. Who you're meant to be is someone in relationship with Almighty God who's forgiven and free. You just ask God for forgiveness And you say, hey, I want to walk with you. Help me do that. And then you'll learn. And, you know, there'll be bumps on the road, but you'll you'll be going the right direction and you'll be sowing seed for eternal life. And then what do you have to fear?